Who are we? Where are we going? What are we doing here? One of the things that I think would com- would be an interesting question for all of us to answer in the year 2000 would be, why in the world would you even come to church? There's so many of us in this room that really don't like it anyway. Let's just say it. And me being one. So why would you go? What in the world would God have for you in a place like this or another place that God would lead you? Why would you do that? I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I think it's an interesting question for you to answer and for you to seek out and to pray to the Lord about. Grasping God's vision for our lives. When I was a little boy, um, <laughs> my Saturdays were my dad's day. And... Um, which meant basically that my dad always had a vision and a plan for how my Saturdays were going to go. Uh, those, that, the vision and plan could include many things. It could include maybe time where I would go up to his, he was a pastor, I would go up to his office and I would have to fold bulletins on a Saturday morning. And by the way, that was back way back when, when he had a folder that you, you put it in the machine and you went like this with the folder. That lets you know how really old I am. He would, uh, it would be very, very well within the context of my life to wake up on Saturday morning and for him to say, these are your chores and for him to leave me a list on the kitchen table when I got up. And obviously the point was, was that I couldn't go about or do anything in my day until I had absolutely realized my dad's vision for my life for Saturdays. That was always difficult because on Friday nights are when teenagers plan their weekends. Teenagers usually don't carry a calendar and they don't say, well, let's do this in, you know, you know, a couple weeks. They plan like right now, right here, you know. So when you're out on Friday night and you say, hey, man, let's do this tomorrow or what are you guys doing tomorrow? My head always went down. And by the time I did that three or four times, all my friends knew, oh, that's right, Joel, you know, the dad thing. Yeah, right. I always wondered, actually, if uh, my dad and mom had super secretive intensive conferences about my schedule on Saturday morning, or if they just decided that out of spite they wanted me to work. I don't know. I remember one day waking up and saying, Dad, why do I have to do this? And he decided not to answer the why as much as to look at me and says, oh, it's just real simple. I'm telling you to do it. In other words, your, your, your time is my time on that day. So you may as well just kind of rest in that because it's going to happen. Did that mean that I didn't have bad attitude about it or fight about it? Well, I sure did, and I did fight about it. But he won, and it was good that he did. When you look over, and it's important that we all do this, when you look over, have you ever heard of a concept called redemptive history? When you look over what's called redemptive history, which means to look from Genesis all the way through Revelation and see how God has redeemed his people and what he's done, you will see a loving father who possessed a vision for his people. Okay? When you look over through redemptive history, you'll see a loving father who possessed a Saturday morning vision for his people. Obviously, it was a life vision. It wasn't just Saturday, but it was the same kind of concept. 
you look over through the whole thing, when you look at the continuum, you'll see that God has a vision. Look, look at Abraham. Look at Moses. Look at David. We're going to look at Gideon today. You'll see that God had a vision for his people. We were in Philippians this last uh, series. I loved it. I want you to answer this question for me. What does this word mean on the board here? Paul says this in Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What is the that he's talking about? Anybody want to take a shot? Come on, no wrong answers. Just give me something. Thoughts? Ben, thought on that? You're a resident theologian. Okay. Okay. It's the purpose. It's the goal. Okay. Somebody else going to say something over here? Yeah. Yeah, right, Star. His plan. Right. I press on to take hold of that. Now, remember, as we're talking about grasping here, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about doing. I got to grasp what God's doing. I'm trying to grasp a hold of the thing that God's already grasped a hold of me. That the truth of the gospel is, is that God the Father has provided a son for me. And through his son now, I can have an eternal life and a life here on earth. I can receive things through that relationship that I wouldn't have received if I had not been or had not been chosen and plucked out of my misery from the Lord in and through his son, Jesus. So I'm trying to. So Paul says, I'm trying to take hold of that for which was that which has taken hold of me. I'm trying to grasp it. I'm trying to kind of get my mind around it. Paul's saying I press on to do it. And that's an important piece. None of us here are going to be people that are going to be these perfect little Christian soldiers. Remember that song? Onward, Christian souls. Remember that one? What an unbelievable, weird understanding, kind of, isn't it? Isn't that kind of weird for you? I mean, I, you know, I remember the song goes, "We may, I, I mean, march o'er the infantry, fly o'er the cavalry." Remember that one? Shoot the is that the same song? But I'm in the Lord's army, and I am, yeah, and I'm not going to shoot the guns, and okay, you know. But there's this kind of this weird, there's this kind of this weird thing. We, we kind of have come up with this weird theology that actually says, well, if I can just get it right, if I can have this destination that I can finally reach, if, if I'm a young man and I struggle with things, if I can do all these certain things, then I'm never going to lust anymore. Oh, boy, what a lie is that? So we kind of run around like good little soldiers and good little shooters over the enemy. And, you know, when God forbid anybody would know that we really have addictions and horrible things that we deal with in our lives, right? So Paul says, I press on to take hold of that. It's a journey. And it is. So I just have one point for you today. And one point for me. This is as much a sermon to me as it is to you. Number one, here it is. Be convinced that God has a vision and it's better than yours. That's it. Be convinced that God has a vision for your life, and it's better 
than your vision for your life. Now, I can say that to you, and many of you would shake your head at me and go, well, sure, of course. Well, but when we live our lives, that's not what we think. That's, I, are you kidding me? On Wednesday, I thought I was better than the Lord's plans. I, I was better than that. I know more about me than God does. That sounds crazy to you that I'd say that, doesn't it? But I believe that. Do I really, am I really convinced that God has a vision that is better than mine? When you think about the new year and you naturally start thinking of, <laughs> of the vision that you may have for your life for 2009, right? And you start asking yourself questions like this. Well, um, what do I want to accomplish this year? Hmm. What are, what are my goals? I'm going to write them down and put them in my Franklin and look at them every day. And <laughs> Right? Do you think that? What do I want to accomplish this year? I, you hear all this. I want to be a better person. Good grief. Is that ever nebulous? I want to, I want to stop smoking. Um, that would be a good one for me. I want to, I want to change the way that I do this. I want to, and it goes on and on and on. But did you notice the language that I just gave you when I, when I just asked you that question? Every, every statement that I just gave you was all about what I am going to do and how I want to do it. That's really the difficulty, isn't it? It's very, very, very easy for us to try to come up with our own vision for our own life and from our own perspective. But actually, that's wrong thinking, according to the Scriptures. As Christians, we're called to not get this now. We're called to think differently. We're called to think differently about the direction and vision for our lives. We're called to ask different questions. This is one question we're called to ask. God, what are you wanting to do and to accomplish through me in 2009? Can we ask that? God, what are you wanting to do with me in my workplace? And maybe the vision that's going to come out, maybe the, the, the voice that you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit will be something totally different than what you thought it was. Would you be sensitive enough to that? God, what are you wanting to accomplish? Not me. And by the way, remember, God's vision is very evident. When, we, when we're people of the word, we'll find out greatly about what God has for us as far as vision. But God's vision isn't always about vocation. Many times we, we kind of transfer it to that. We think about God's vision for our life and it's going to be vocation. I've got to go be now, uh, you know, a missionary to Mongolia, you know, or I've got to go and do this, or I've got to be this or whatever. God, what are you wanting to accomplish? God, what do you want me to do differently with my wife this year? How do you want me to relate to my new bride this year? to my husband this year, to my friends this year. God, what, what kind of vision would you give me for my, my neighbor that lives right beside me that I don't think even has a clue who you are? What kind of vision would you have for me with that person, with that couple? What are you do? What would you have for me there? Do you follow even the line of questions that I'm asking you causes you to slow it way down and just to go, wow, 
What are you doing? What do you want to do? Now, some of us here, you want to be real careful because some of us here have a real tendency to, have you ever met these kind of people? You talk to them, they say, God told me this. You say, whoa, that's, God doesn't speak like that to me a lot. He doesn't show up on the bedpost at night and say, go somewhere. You know, I mean, he, he, he doesn't do that. Now he speaks to me in his word. He nudges me in his spirit. Maybe sometimes the better statement would be, I, I think God's directing me this way. I'm going to walk in there and see what God's going to do. The basis for this idea is that we have a God who is on the move. A God who is telling a story. He's telling a phenomenally beautiful redemption story, a story that goes all the way back to the Old Testament where he picked out a covenant people for himself. These will be my people. And I'm going to chase them down to the end of the earth. And there's no way they're not going to enter into glory with me. It's an unbelievable story. He is telling the story. Now, I want to read this to you. It's a... uh, I want you to think about it as I read it because it's really has a lot to do with our point in terms of grasping God's vision for our lives because right here is a perfect example. I think it's a perfect example of our lives, of what how we face. So here's how I want you to think about it. Think about it like you're, you and me are Gideon in the story. Okay? Listen to this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So two folks being talked about here, the Israelites and the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. That's how many there were. I gotta stop and say this. When you read, you know, the re- redemptive timeline, you always, you, God always is telling a story of complete and utter hopelessness without Him. I'm just wanting you to know that. That's like, like in all the stories. And it's, it's like, uh, God said, okay, how I'm gonna make it happen, I'm really gonna communicate just insurmountable hopeless circumstances. And then I'm gonna save the day. And I'm gonna save the day in Jesus. Right? Did he save the day in Jesus? Yes. They camped on the land and ruined all the crops. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. Hopeless. They invaded the land to ravage it, and Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you 
up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And the angel of the Lord This is just unbelievable. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't do that. That's grapes in a wine press. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites because he's living in hiding. He's in the caves. Seven years, hopeless circumstance. And listen to what the angel says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God's vision in the midst of terrible circumstances was that Gideon was still going to be the warrior for his people. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, speaking directly into his heart, into his circumstance, into his life, into the seven years of terrible, terrible abandonment that Gideon felt. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let me, let me preach for just a quick second. You are, you, you, we are just like this. I have had my seven years of locusts, and some of you may be in it right now. And some of you may feel terribly abandoned in your circumstance. Feel terribly abandoned in your circumstance. By the way, for some reason, God uses abandonment for very acute reasons. Our sense of abandonment. Usually it's the only time that he can get our attention. When we finally just come to the end of ourselves. But let me make sure that you understand that the God of Israel... The God of the Bible, the God that is Jesus incarnate comes to you even today in your seven years, in all the trials that you have and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Is with you. The Lord is with you. You have the Lord. You have the promise of the Lord inside of your life. You have been touched by the Lord in your circumstance. I am with you, mighty warrior. You are a mighty warrior. It's a beautiful thing to come and say this out of the blue to a man who is living in a cave in the darkness of his world and life. What circumstances right now are you fearful, fearful of? You're shaken to your core about the Lord comes to you just like Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior or warrior S for you women there. Ones that get mad and say the Bible is all masculine. Anyway, forget that. Okay. Then look, is this perfect? Because this is, this, is, this is exactly what we do. Look what Gideon says. But, sir. Now, <laughs> this is, it was hopeless. Locust. Locust. <laughs> right? It's real bad. And Gideon, what, look, look what he says. But, sir. Now, he says, sir, because this is the angel. But he's going to say, but, Lord, as well. But, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what the question we ask? Why has all this happened to us? 
Now pay close attention to see how the Lord responds to his mighty warrior. If this all happened, why has this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of the Midian. It must have been like tribal council around these Israelite fires, you know, the great fathers coming around and talking about, man, what happened. And, and I'm sure it did. And this, you know, Gideon says, what happened to all that? I want to be a part of the Red Sea experience, not a part of the locust seven years in the cave darkness experience. Right? Then look what happens in verse 14. Now, apparently, the Lord goes like this to the angel. He goes, now it's my turn. Ooh, this is, that's when you know it's, it's pretty serious. Yeah, serious. The Lord turned to him and said, look what he says now. He doesn't, look what he says to him. Gideon's complaining. Look what he says. Go in the strength you have and save the Israel out, save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So what's his, so what, how did the Lord answer it, Quinn? Oh. Am I not good enough? The Lord didn't go into a big diatribe. Well, let me just spell this out for you, Joel, real quick. Go ahead and have a seat. Let me give you the whole purpose and, and plan of creation as I know it. And let me explain how my purposes are going to be fulfilled in this. And, and boy, I would still be sitting there. The Lord obviously answered not to walk in to that piece of the story, but said, wait a minute, you, you, you already have the strength that you've been given. Then, look at 15. This is Judges 6, I'm sorry. But Lord. But Lord. Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. By the way, does this sound like Moses? Remember Moses in the burning bush? How can I go save the people of Israel? I don't even know how to speak. Well, the Lord will have a reason. The Lord has great reasons why he picks really weak people like me. It's just so that he can get through and not me. Right? Look what he says. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. He's the black duck. He's the ugly duckling. Don't we all feel that too? So many of us feel that. Where nobody likes us. Where, how could he ever choose me? You know? The Lord answered. I, he says again, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites together. Then the story goes on and Gideon basically, in the Lord's gracious patience, Gideon tests the Lord. You've read the story. Just says, okay, Lord, give me a sign. I'm going to do a fleece and do the altar thing and then the water thing. And then I'm going to do this. And you know, like, and God is just, it's almost like me with one of my children, you know, you, when, when your little children are running around with a little diaper on, you know, and that diaper is like filled to the brim with bad things and you just take it off and clean their fanny and they want to run through that house naked and, you know, you're just letting them go. Look at them. Aren't they great? You know, those kids, oh, they, you know, they run over and they knock over the milk. And, you know, and all of a sudden people come over and they look at me and they go, what are you letting your kid run around naked in your house for? Dude, are you stupid? You know, they don't get it. You know why they don't get it? Because it's my child. And I, maybe I want to see the little butt running around my house. 
It's, it's, it's okay. I just like it. It's, it's my, I like my children. I love them. I, nobody else gets that except me. They'll never get it. They don't, they don't love my kids the way I love them. That's how God looks at us. They're my children. These are my children. So apparently we could, we could surmise, we could deduce the fact that God allows his children to say, well, why? And what? And where? David says that all the time in Psalms. Where are you, Lord? He says where all the time. And what? Okay. Now remember though, be careful. Be careful. All you got to do is read Job to find out what God has some limits in this now. Be careful. But he does allow his children, he has patience with us in our process. Here's the beautiful thing that I wanted to make sure that you know. The Lord handles Gideon's questions in a beautiful way, but he says, when he says, go in the strength you have, you have been given everything you need to do to do the thing I want you to do. Do you believe that, by the way? Do you and I believe that? That you have been given everything, all the strength that you have, everything that you need for this, for whatever it is you're going to face life, you've been given it by me. No temptation has overcome you, but that which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above that which you can handle. 1 Corinthians, what, 6 or 10, 13? Is Is that what that is? That's a good verse for us fellas. Because we can tell ourselves a lie that would say the lust, the things that we think about in our lives, is something that I cannot and will never be able to control. Oh no. The Bible says this in Second Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness, through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. And that's what God has given Gideon a chance to do. Participate in the divine nature. Participate in my purpose. Participate in my vision. Be with me. I've got it covered. What's the point? God had a vision and a plan that was very different than Gideon's. God had a vision and a plan that was very different than Gideon's. And he probably has a vision and a plan that's very different than yours and mine too. What else is the point? God's intention was for Gideon to take hold of that plan and to grasp what he was doing. But how was he going to do that? How about this? By deeply trusting in God's strength in presence to get him through the plan. The plan within the plan is always our own faith walk. There's always a plan within the plan. And that plan is usually has to do with our own faith and trust in the Lord. You follow? He didn't have to completely understand it. He didn't have to figure it out. God just said, I am sending you. I will be with you. I am enough. What circumstances are you in? Claim that truth, mighty warrior. God is enough. God's vision, a crucial piece of his vision is to communicate to us that my plans and what I want to do are something will be accomplished and my strength is enough for you. Now let me finish by, by, by reading this. After the whole thing, Gideon finally gets together his army, okay, to go out to fight the Midianites. Listen to this. Early in the morning, some men, all the men had camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, listen to this, listen to this. 
You have too many men for me to deliver the Midian into their hands. In order that Israel, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. Hopeless. Gideon's sitting there going, right? While 10,000 remained. Then look what happens. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. By the way, the army is locusts. It's like many. Hundreds of thousands. The Lord says there are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. God, God's sovereign. He's going to make it happen. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Funny, really hilarious image. 300 men, 300 men lapped up or lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down to their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that I lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into their hands. 300. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. You know why God does what he does? To bring glory to himself. Not to bring glory to us. That's what it's all about. God wants to bring glory. He wants you to speak of him. This next year, your mouth from the, from the words to trip from your lips about how phenomenal the Lord has been in your journey, in your seven years. He wants the, his vision, his plan to work out in and through you so that you'll give glory back to him. Grasping God's vision for our lives. It's a good, good thing for us to think about. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Gideon because we're just like him. He was a great judge and he had still so much so much weakness, so many issues that he struggled with. And we do too. And, and we, we uh, love to say, but Lord, how could this happen? We are people who have deep and utter feelings of abandonment. <laughs> but you sent us Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I pray in this year as we think about our church and as we think about even our lives and where we're going from here as a community, I pray that we would lean far more into what you want to do and where you're going and how you're moving than what we're doing and how we're moving and what we want to do. So convict us, help us, strengthen our arms for the journey. Give us the words that you gave to Gideon. I'm with you. I am your strength. Thank you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to take um, five minutes of uh, response time. And uh, this is just time for us to be quiet. Uh, we will have our uh, Koinonia group leaders in the, in the back. And uh, you can pray with them or with myself up here. So it's a time to just pray and consider the word, to journal, 
And you can pull somebody else aside and pray with them if you want to. And um, it's also a time to give of our offerings to the Lord. That's in the back as well. And then uh, we'll have our closing song.